11. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them over to Acts chapter 11. And um, we got something to talk about this morning. Because I've been continually uh, burdened with um, things in the world and our church. And um, I think it's, it's such an important thing to, to cover. Hopefully you were here last week. Uh, but if not, we'll share what we, we did talk about. But the study has given us several points um, throughout this long journey we've been in Acts. And I, I want to remind you that these points are lessons that we are gleaning from the first church. And, and I'll, I want you to hear that again. The, these are hopefully, these points are hopefully lessons that we're gleaning from the first church. A group of believers who were going through severe persecution and severe difficulties in their life. And I think they should, these points should help us, encourage us. I think they should also challenge us and convict us. I think especially since we see a stark contrast between what we're reading and studying and I believe what we're experiencing today in the modern church. We see something going on in, in, in the first church and then we look at what's going on in the church today and, and there seems to be some mix-up somewhere. Where, where, where are we off? How are we off? Something doesn't match up. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves at this point is this, do the lessons, do the examples that they left us in Scripture, that God preserved for us, do they matter? I mean, we have notes there and you got digital form, there's some, there's some physical copies on the back table if you want a copy of it. We, we go through the Scriptures and we, we pull out these points that, that are important in Scripture and you have to answer that question for yourself, do, does it matter to you? Does it matter? Do you write them down and forget them? Again, we see the church in, in, the, in the first century gather faithfully. Why? To serve, to endure, to, to, to rally together, to do what God had called them to do. And, and we see that example and we, again, have to ask ourselves and answer the question, do those, those examples matter? Do they affect us? You know, we read stories in history sometimes we, uh, of, of past army generals and, and about presidents and, and different historical figures. And we say, man, what, what leadership, man, what example, what sacrifice, what amazing things they did for our country, for their family, for, for whatever. And yet God has preserved for us his eternal word, examples of what the first church was. And again, we have to ask that that question and answer it does does it even matter to us? Are we reading it like some fairy tale that happened two thousand years ago, completely immune, completely callous to how it might affect our lives, what our lives might look like? Or again, maybe we view these people in, in scripture as foreigners, aliens to us. I have no idea who these people are, or do we see them as our spiritual ancestors? We see them, how do we see them? Because I think we have a choice. We can see them as our spiritual ancestors and examples that the Lord used to, to, to help us even today as the day of the Lord is drawing nearer. Or we can just continue on in stale, apathetic versions of Christians, of the church. And I have to be honest with you, 
It feels like that sometimes. It feels like the church exists in a stale, apathetic state. How are they experiencing such amazing moves of God, such powerful, impactful, life-changing, life-altering experiences together? And yet today, not saying that we don't see the hand of God at work, but where is our heart? Where is our affection? Where are our thoughts? Where is our mind? What are we living for? What stirs our hearts? What, what unites us and drives us? What, what's going on? Let me ask you personally, and you can take it or leave it, but I really encourage you to take it. Do you personally take the points and pray that you would be or that you would not be what they charge or what they challenge you to be or not be? Do you, do you take what we learn together in God's word on, on Sunday mornings and, 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 and say, you know what, I, I need to work on that. Or you know what, that's encouraging to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing this. Do you, do you take them or, or do you sit here for, for, for 40 or 45 minutes and, and hear it and, and see it and, and understand it and then, and then go back to your life and nothing really is affected throughout the week or the rest of your life. Last week we saw some very important things that we should del be deliberately mindful every day that God isn't willing that anyone should perish, but that all would be saved. That was the first one. And then we saw that we should be delighted that the plan of God is unstoppable. The word of God is powerfully captivating and the salvation of God is freely given to all who repent and believe. And so the question that I just asked, do you personally take those points and apply them where they need to? Did those points affect how you saw and interacted with people last week? Did you begin to, to, to even pray, God, open my eyes to lost souls around me. God, help me be a light. God, I, I, I go about my days and I am that person who gets so busy that I forget that I'm here for an eternal purpose, that I'm, I'm supposed to be salt and light. Did, did you forget that there may be somebody in your life that God wants to use you to touch with the gospel? I would venture to say most of us did. And so did the points really affect us or do we just continue on in our stale, apathetic profession of Christianity? Did those points prompt you to pray more for the lost friends you know that you have? Did it prompt you to pray for your lost coworkers? Did, did what we heard last week change your, your, your brokenness towards those who may be spending eternity in a lake of fire to be tormented forever? Did it change anything in you? Did, you? did you give it a second thought once you left these doors? You have family members? They won't get a second chance once it's over. They'll receive no mercy. In the lake of fire, there is no hope of any relief. In the lake of fire, there's no, no, no future expectation of anything good. In the lake of fire, a place reserved for Satan and his demons. It will only be torment and God's eternal judgment on wickedness. And so when we hear points, did it change anything in you? Did it change your involvement in the gospel mission? Did you say, you know what? I don't, 
ever invite anybody to church. I don't ever hand anybody a gospel track. I never have a gospel conversation with anybody. And I talk to people all week long and I don't do it. Did you grab a track? Did you get an invite card? Did you send an email? Did you make a phone call, have the conversation? Did it change anything? Did you even pray a prayer for somebody who you believe might be lost? See, that is part of the problem of the church today. We have our life, let it be good, God, and then leave me alone. What about this week? Did you invite anybody to come, like I said, to hear about the Jesus who saved you in his grace? Did you think that maybe that stranger might just be waiting for someone to invite them? Now, how we have heard the testimonies of, of people saying, you know what? All it took was somebody to invite me. Did you give anyone hope beyond this life? Man, this world is, is, is bleeding out of hope. Suffering under the weight of fear and death. And the only hope that exists in this world exists in Jesus Christ alone. And we are the bearers of that gospel hope. We are the only ones who God has commissioned and entrusted with the treasure, and he's placed the treasure in us so that the excellent power may be of God and not of us. Again, if, if you didn't change anything or do anything, or and I'm trying to get on to you, I'm just trying to get us awake out of our, our spiritual slumber, to wake us out of, out, out, out of the stupor that we might be in, spiritually speaking. Because there is a day, the, the song we just sang, there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day, it's coming soon. Brother Turner just saying, at the midnight cry, there's going to be a moment, there's going to be an instant when everything will change. And how are we living our lives in light of that? Or in light of the next great big temporal blessing? Again, that's part of our problem today is we don't act like we actually believe what we say we believe. I think if we'll start with that first admission and confession to God, God, my daily life doesn't look like what I say I believe. I think if we'll start there, then we can start on the path to revival, that we can actually start on the path to seeing God doing the, the amazing things that he still has the power to do today. And praise God for the things that we're seeing him do in our church, people getting saved, people getting baptized, people joining the church. Praise God, but what's happening in your life, Christian? What's happening in it? Is anything changing? Are you growing? Are you truly growing? Are you existing in a mental state of your own spiritual growth and not truly growing in the Lord? Scripture is either true or not true. God is either God or he is not God. Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Heaven and hell are either real or they're not. Well, let's not keep professing that we believe those things, yet not living like it on a daily basis. Because we're damaging the example for future generations. 
See, that first church was set in an example that lasted now for over two, or almost 2,000 years. And, and, and we are still able to look back to their example and say, man, this is what we should look like. That's what Jesus had just resurrected from the dead. The Holy Spirit was still establishing through the apostolic ministry, the foundation of the church. Things were going amazing. But there was severe persecution and severe difficulty, severe famine and disease and all those things going on in their world, yet they were flourishing as the spiritual body of Christ. What's happening today? It's happening today. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If the next generation had you, you individual Christian, as their pattern, what would the next church look like? If, if, if every the, the next generation the, the, uh, of ki the kids in our church, the teens in our church, if they were to look at you and how you gather faithfully, would they be able to have regular church services? Or would they simply have periodic gatherings? What about if they had you only as their pattern to faithfully serve? They look at you. Would anything get accomplished as a church? Would there be any edification through the use of gifts? Are you using your spiritual gifts or are you showing up? What about their attitude? What about their attitude toward one another? What about their connection to the body of Christ? If, if the next generation had you as their example and they saw how your attitude was towards the body of Christ and your connection was to the body of Christ, will that next church feel united or a part of anything significant beyond themselves? Winston Churchill slightly changed the quote and he paraphrased it and he said this, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. I think we've heard that a lot recently, but it was actually from a guy named George Santana, or Santania, uh, whatever. I can't say his last name. My wife would get on to me because I don't have my glasses on. Big text. But he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I believe that is so important and so true in the spiritual realm. If we don't learn from past failures, then we're doomed to repeat them. And I believe the same thing. If we don't learn from the, the, the pattern of past victories, then we're destined to miss future victories. I mean, there's a pattern in Scripture that God has given us. He's given us example after example. And so the question I, I want to ask you now is this. Who's going to be the modern-day Paul's? Who's going to be the modern-day Peter's and Tabitha's and Cornelius's? Who, who among us is going to say, I will yield my life wholeheartedly to the Lord. We will be the, the, the servants of the, the Most High God. We will be at His disposal and not at the world's. Will the next generation have that pattern to follow? Or is the next generation seeing a bunch of modern-day Simon the Sorcerers and Aquila the, and Priscilla's? People who are out for themselves and only looking to give a portion to God, but saying that they're given all. People who think that they could actually temporally tap into the eternal things of God like Simon the sorcerer did. Hey, how much does it cost to get me something like that? What does the next generation have as their pattern? 
When they look at you as an adult, when they look at me as an adult, when they see the church now, what are they going to do when we're gone? How will we respond to the lessons? Again, I have to be honest that my heart is burdened. The apathy in the modern church is frustrating. I talk to pastors from all over, and every pastor seems to be burdened, frustrated, and concerned with the same things. I believe that what has happened over the past year and a half, the enemy has used as a tool, and we as the weak church of Almighty God have allowed it to affect us. Divide us, distract us, discourage us, defeat us. When in the most time, the, the, the greatest time uh, of human need, and, and, and the church has, has an opportunity to rise up and be the church, the church of hope, pointing others to Jesus Christ, not to other stuff, whatever the case may be in this world, we have an opportunity. And what have we done? Many of us have ran and hid from being who God has called us to be. Out of what? I just want to preserve. I just want to... What are we here for? The Bible says we are to present ourselves a living sacrifice on this mission of eternity to share the gospel. That's why we're here. It's not here to build a retirement. It's not here to build up a storehouse, or, uh, towers, and fill them full of grains. And oh, what are we going to do now? We have so much. We're going to build more. That's not why we're here. Jesus told that servant, you're wicked. And before this night, I'm going to take everything you have. What are we doing? We have an opportunity to be the light and the salt in a desperate world. Do the points even matter? Do they affect us? I'm saying this because we've got to get serious about being the church. Nowhere in history, in the beginning when Jesus was forming it, nowhere is the church fragmented on its own pages, doing what they feel like they want to do. If you don't feel the end times climate change, and I urge you, like the Apostle Paul urged in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, everything's fine, we've got everything under control now, everybody stay calm, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon pregnant women, and they will not escape, but you... Christians are not in darkness, brothers, you, that you're not in darkness because that day will not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The commentator said this, because believers have been delivered from the domain of darkness, they are taken out of the night of sin and ignorance and put into the light of God. Because Christians are in the light, they should not sleep in spiritual indifference or sleep in spiritual comfort, but be alert to the spiritual issues around them. They are not to live like the sleeping, darkened people who will be jolted out of their coma by the day of the Lord, but Christians are to live alert balanced, godly lives under the control of truth. 
Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Why did he die for us? So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Make sure you stay on point. Make sure you stay on the right path. Verse, thir- verse 11 of Romans 13, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, now, 2,000 years ago, it's, uh, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to the Roman believers 2,000 years ago and said, hey, wake up spiritually. Because our salvation, the Lord's coming back, is going to take us to be with him. It's way closer than it was when we first said yes to Jesus. The same commentator said that this sleep is spiritual apathy or lethargy. What is that? It's unresponsiveness to the things of God. There's a real battle for the souls of mankind. For the next generation, there is a real battle going on right now. If you don't think that the enemy is trying to use everything at his disposal to try to get the lost world to grasp on to something tangible to put their hope and put their trust in, to put their confidence and their security in, then I'm saying this morning, wake up. This will keep you safe. This will protect you. This will give you hope. This will give you life. This will preserve your life. And I'm not trying to get, I'm just trying to say there's a spiritual battle in the midst of it all. And we have the one person, the only one, who can bring life and hope to desperate souls. What are we doing with him? What are we doing with him? I just want to do for me and my family. We are servants of God. The Bible says that we are no longer our own because we've been bought with a price. There's a real end coming soon, and there's a real reckoning that will happen at the end. So my challenge to us, starting with myself, is we better get real, real fast. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast, strong, firm the confession of our hope, without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking what we're doing right now, our own assembling together, as some have the habit, but encouraging one another. And we should do this even more so, all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of the Lord. 
And then he says, because if we go on sinning willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But for those who hear the, the truth and say, you know what, we're going to go on about our life, there's only a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. If somebody died by the, 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 the witness of two or three people in the Old Testament, what, it, what judgment waits for the person who says, I know what Jesus did for me. I understand he died on the cross. He shed his blood to be the payment for my sins. The only one who can make the payment. He rose again. I understand that I have knowledge of all that. But you know what? I'm going to live my own life for me. I'm going to do my own thing and be on my own page. He says, how much more severe judgment waits for the person who tramples on the blood of Jesus Christ? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of living God. But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. <laughs> Do you hear that? Accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Why? Because you have need of endurance, so that when, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, talking to Christians. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. I didn't know if I was going to get to the points this morning, but I share all of this, not only for the burden that I have for the church and the state of the church today, but what lies ahead. If what happened in our world in the past year and a half was able to sway Christians, divide discourage, defeat, then woe to us in the days ahead. We better start getting real, real fast. We better wake up from any spiritual slumber. We better start realizing the days are, sh are growing shorter and the time is running out and we are the only ones who have the truth and the hope beyond this life. It's not anything that this world can offer. It's what Jesus alone can give. If you're here this morning 
and you're not 100% positive that if the end were to happen right now, if, as the Bible says, as a thief in the night, if it came, if you're not 100% positive that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord, then I beg you today, today needs to be the day of salvation. Today needs to be that day that you surrender all and say, here is my life. The Lord loves you. He died for you. He rose again so that you would simply be able to live with him. It's grace, undeserved, unearned. We can't be good enough. We can't live the life enough. We can't come to church enough. We can't tell enough people. There's a lot of people that have come to church every single time the doors were open that, that have told people how to be saved, that they themselves have never truly surrendered their hearts to Jesus Christ and salvation. It's not about works. It's about a relationship. And if you don't have a true, sincere relationship that affects your daily living, then I beg you, don't leave today without doing that. And Christians, if you know that you know that you know, you are 100%, 100% positive you're going to heaven when you die. Because you know you surrendered your life. You know that you were broken over your sin. You know that you repented of your sins. You turned your life completely over to Jesus Christ. You confessed him as your Lord. You believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's no doubt in your mind that you are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ and who he is. If that's you, we better start waking up quick. What are you doing? What are we doing? Every time we meet here, every time we leave here, the power and the presence of God should just continue to thrive. And we should see the, the great works of God on every hand, even in the midst of disease, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of a world that seems to be spiraling out of control. The power of God gets bright, the power and the light of God gets brighter and brighter in those times. That's what we've been studying. Let's make sure we're not the reason that that's missing out. Make sure, Christian, all of your hope. There's a song from uh, uh, David Crowder, our dear brother Everett, who went home to be with the Lord. It's the last song that he sang, we sang as a group. All my hope is in Jesus. All my hope is in him. We should live like that. That's how we should live our lives. All my hope is in Jesus, and I gotta tell other people about him. I wanna encourage you to respond however the Spirit leads you to respond this morning. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you for challenging me and, and burdening me. Lord, I don't want to be the same from day to day. I wanna grow. I wanna, I wanna grow closer to you. I wanna become uh, 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 more of a servant. I want to become more of an instrument of righteousness. You tell us that we are to yield our, our members of, as instruments of righteousness to you. And I pray that every child of God in this place would wake up, that we would snap out of the stupor, that we would snap out of uh, living a life of, of for our own pleasure and our own comfort according to our own standards. And God, we would get back to what we see in your word that we're called to be that servants of the Most High God. And I pray that you would move in this place in a great way. Lord, if there's somebody here that, as we've already been praying all morning long for them, if they're not positive, they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Please move their hearts. 
that they would come either forward at this invitation or after the service and say, I need to be saved, and they would surrender their life today. Lord, just move now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays this morning.